0: Hey there, I'm Amanda from Berkeley, California.
1: Hi, I'm Chris from Indianapolis. Hey, I'm Hunter from Philadelphia.
0: The Sound of Young America is produced independently and supported by listeners like you and me. You should support the show like I did. Just visit MaximumFun.org slash donate.
1: I'm Jesse Thorne. Live on tape from my house in Los Angeles, it's the Sound of Young America from MaximumFun.org and PRI, Public Radio International. It's The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest on the program is the acclaimed novelist Colson Whitehead. He is, among other things, uh, the winner of a MacArthur Fellowship, the author of several novels, including Apex Hides the Hurt and, most recently, Sag Harbor, uh, which is uh, a story about uh, middle-class African-American adolescents in uh, a resort town on the East Coast enjoying a summer in which... Almost nothing happens, Colson Whitehead. Welcome to the sound of young america it 's great to have you here. Hey, how do you thanks a lot so i want I want to ask you this It, it seems like one, almost like one of the mission statements of this book is the idea that like you can write a compelling book about a group of adolescent characters going through a summer. Where like they don't stumble into an abandoned
0: mine shaft or like you know what I mean? Yeah, and find a dead body or get chased by the KKK. Yeah, um, just
1: any of those. None of those things happen in this book, and uh, you know maybe it maybe they end up at like a hundred and five percent of their
0: previous level of maturity and intelligence at the end of the text. Yeah, I, I mean, um, you know, in, in my life I didn't have those crazy adventures, um, so I was thinking. How can I be true to the experience of summer? And you're not that smarter. Uh, despite all your dreams of reinvention, uh, you're not tested by finding a dead body in the woods or etc. cetera. Um, so, the, so the test or the challenge becomes, how do I take these sort of mundane moments, your first job, first kiss, uh, drinking some beers for the first time, and, and elevate them to the status of something interesting?
1: Did you ever consider the possibility that maybe in order to get a narrative out of it, you should introduce some big inciting incident like uh, you know, somebody gets eaten by a wolf or whatever?
0: Well, yeah. I mean, I definitely had worries because um, when I started, but I knew that I was going, going in with this idea that I could be true to the rhythms of most people's summers. Um, and so if that's the challenge, how do you, how do you make it work?
1: Tell me a little bit about what you were like as a teenager. The the characters in this book seem at least in this one summer context for adolescents relatively untortured. Um and I wonder I, I wonder whether that was your experience of adolescence, whether you were able to relatively peacefully, you know, put away your Dungeons and Dragons books in the closet.
0: <laughs> no, I mean it was, it was you know, I think uh I found my teenage years pretty horrible, and it took me you know, about 20 years or 25 years to be able to have enough perspective to write about teenagers. Um, there would always be these you know, campy TV shows on Fox, and all my friends in adulthood would say, oh, let's watch these shows. I can't watch shows with teenagers. I hate reading books about teenagers. I didn't like being a teenager. And then I think a couple years ago, it just seemed that if I – did hate it so much. It'd be nice torture to write a book about teenagers. Um, I think <laughs> I, I, uh, I cheat a bit because it's the, the the narrator is an is a grown up looking back on his teenage times. I didn't want to like try to recreate '80s slang, and um, that just seems sort of tedious. One of the things that the book is about is
1: the idea of this place, Sag Harbor, as being this kind of. Um, Special refuge, like a world outside of for especially for privileged african American people, this world outside of you know being the you know the black lawyer on the team of lawyers at the big corporation or uh, being the black kid at a private school or whatever being in this community of people who are in about the same place as you were and had been for and sort of that parody move going back for generations. Um, what did it mean for you as a kid to go out to this
0: place for the summer as opposed to, I think you went to like New York private schools, right? Yeah. Um, well for me, I mean, it didn't really mean anything. It was just a place I went in the summer. We took it for granted. We didn't know that, um, how special it was. I didn't really sort of become aware of that until I was in my thirties. Um, so for me, it was just a place I went in the summer. It's where, um, I was probably conceived <laughs> and, and um, uh, it's what I did in between June and August. So it didn't actually have any special import until uh, in my thirties and sick of the New York hustle and needing to get out of the city for a while and staying at my mother's house for a weekend.
1: How is it different? Why? Why do you think is it's a place where you know you could tell this story in set in nineteen eighty five, but maybe l- less well in two thousand and ten.
0: I chose 85 because the Hamptons hadn't really encroached upon Sag Harbor yet. It was still kind of a sleepy little village. Um, It was a whaling town. It's mentioned in in Moby Dick. And, you know, I remember growing up, there were all these bumper stickers saying, you know, I had a whale all the time in Sag Harbor. It was just really corny. But then, of course, a club opened up in 84, and that sort of brought um, big names in and and celebrities. And so the, the, the town started to change. So it seemed like in the same way that these boys I'm talking about are becoming men in their sort of uh, slow way, the town of Sag Harbor was also in in the midst of this transformation. And so from being very sort of inward-looking and then being part of this larger Hamptons community in the same way that the boys are uh, sort of clueless but then trying to find their way in the the larger teenage codes – and so it seemed like 85 was just a, a great moment to have this sort of overlap in subject.
1: There's this um, thing that people are, are always saying about teenagers that, like, everything is operatic. Everything is five times more important than it should be. And usually that's something that's applied to, like, um, uh, like breaking up with a girlfriend and then you're, like, so sad that you're considering suicide, um, in In your book like it 's largely applied to like frozen dinner brand loyalty <laughs> right and <yeah. laughs> things like that and i I found myself reading it, and it seems it felt so vivid and I wondered whether you were still like in touch with that part of uh you know fifteen year old Colton Whitehead that i that so passionately cared about those kinds of things.
0: Well, yeah, I think it's part of a feature of, of how I write. You know, before I started doing fiction, I was a critic, and I, you know, I really was sort of sort of trying to zoom in and get to the heart of things and um, try to explain them to my readers. And and part of that impulse is still in in, in my fiction. Uh, let's talk, Let's talk for a second
1: about uh, pop culture. Nineteen eighty five is um, not just an auspicious time in the history of Sag Harbor. It's also an auspicious time in the history of hip hop. It's basically the time when uh, when the kind of like, uh, let's all rap together and be goofy and have a goofy fun party thing is receding in the face of the sort of next things, which are either very serious kind of politically conscious hip hop or gangster rap. And and then so sort of third way, which is like mega, you know, bust a move type uh, pop rap. Um, and the two like, big hip-hop tracks in the book are uh, The Message by uh, The Furious Five, and there's a lot of arguments about what, what Melly Mel is saying when he says he broke his sacroiliac. Yes. Um, Because I'm pretty sure in the song he does say Uh sacrodiliac, which is very confusing to me. And it wasn't until I read it in the book and decided to look it up that I knew what he
0: was talking about. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think I was trying to figure out which, you know, pop culture moments I could use, you know, for the character. And I think I decided on 85, um, even though it didn't make it into the book, because of the um, debut of the single Lodi Dodi and the show. And for me that was a huge revelation, July, someone brought a bootleg from the city and um it was just a new sort of way of uh, approaching hip hop and it wasn't the sort of camp of Roxanne Roxanne. Um it was much different from the stuff that was on Horizon, um say NWA like 4 3 or 4 years later. So I figured I would have like, you know, Said piece about Lottie Dottie. Um, it didn't work out and, you know, and uh, Grandmaster Flash became a better track to use and rock Roxanne, Roxanne, The rock Roxanne Wars. So, um, you know, I'm always trying to find where the subjects bleed into each other. So Sag Harbor is on the cusp of this moment, the boys are, and, and so is the music that they're listening to and obsessing over. And so, so all of it hopefully um, is making this narrative about change to adulthood or this new sort of version.
1: Let's talk for a second about Roxanne, Roxanne and UTFO. Uh, one of the big set pieces in the book is the gang trying to get into a UTFO show. And, um, you know, I listened to Roxanne, Roxanne. I hadn't listened to it in a while. And I was thinking about UTFO, which, frankly, I hadn't been I hadn't done in a while. And what what was coming up was like, this is spectacularly corny, like this is the corniest thing in the history, one of the guys dresses up like a doctor. One of the, you know what I mean, like
0: with the, the educated rapper. The one guy, it's
1: like it's the silliest thing in the history of the
0: world. Well, yeah, it's like it's like a, a, a village people type dress up uh, that they're engaged in,
1: and that's a very different kind of tension between poppiness and corniness than what would emerge, you know, five years later, which was, or you, ten years later, which was either you are. Kind of either you're gangsta or you're not gangsta, and anything that isn't gangsta is corny. Um, and so, like the the difference between Run DMC and U T F O is not about which one's more thugged. It's about a, I don't. It's a a weird other kind of corniness, and that's a, like that's a big that kind of identity of trying to figure out what you know what culture you are without you know without defining it in terms of am I hood or not. Is a big part of the book, too.
0: Um, yeah, I mean, you know, in one or two chapters. I mean, hopefully, you know, when I was conceiving the book, I thought, um, I sort of saw each chapter as, you know, attacking a certain segment of their personalities. And so the chapter that deals with, you know, most explicitly with this is the BB Gun War chapter, where they're middle class boys who have anxieties about being middle class and are they real enough. Um, what uh, what do these guns, which are you know just BB guns, but they look like real real guns, and they sort of start engaging in a sort of more and more serious play with them? What does it actually mean to them, and what does it how does it resonate in terms of their ideas of are they authentic or not authentic enough? So, um, you know, I, I think one of the strategies in, in the book, since there isn't you know that you know we talked about that strong plot line, ways that. Um, these different episodes, whether it's the ice cream chapter or the go to the beach chapter or, you know, or the sneaking to the club chapter, that these larger thematic concerns can move, move from chapter to chapter and, and then provide that sort of structure. Production of The Sound of Young America is underwritten in part by Ask Metafilter. Thousands of life's little questions answered online at ask.metafilter.com. It's
1: The Sound of Young America. I'm Jesse Thorne. My guest is the novelist Colson Whitehead. His latest book is about a group of African-American boys in the African-American eastern seaboard summer destination, Sag Harbor. Was it a conscious choice for you to set uh, these main characters on... Sort of relatively equal footing class-wise in a world where most of the story is not taking place in contexts where they're dealing with people from the other, I don't know, the East Coast geography, but the places where, like, capital R, rich people live rather than people whose parents are successful professionals – um was it was it important to you to to keep that focus to keep that focus tight on
0: stuff that 's within this small world well I mean you know it all takes place in psych harbor during, during the summer and um that's definitely my perception growing up um maybe your parent was a doctor or maybe your parent was a teacher and they 're making very disparate amounts of money um and they 're just there because their grandparents moved out there, and you know the house has been passed on so I mean there was you know there was um, a variety of socioeconomic levels going you know, whatever'm not you know, whatever you want to term it, but we were all this there for three months, and um, we 'd barely see each other during the school year, and then we'd come back and reboot come June. so the unifying thing was really just being out there and on our own you know apart from you know, the, the fact that the kids in the book are 15 and uh, their parents only come out on weekends. I can't imagine now, like, letting my 8-year-old just leave at 10 a.m. and come back when lights come on. You know, that like, was something just, like, I couldn't...
1: It like, <laughs> seemed unreal, the idea that... The, I, I First, I was I was trying to figure out if I was misinterpreting things, but one of the things that's going on here is these kids are all heading out to these houses by themselves while the parents work in the city during the week.
0: Yeah, so it's just, you know, like... Mr. Spaulding next door will keep an eye on things or, um, you know, somebody's mom is out in case you get hit by a car and have to go to the emergency room. But um, the way the book is set up and, you know, for a summer or two, there's some overlap with my experience. You know, we were kind of good kids. We were nerds and we weren't like uh, shooting up. We weren't having sex. We we're thinking about having sex, but we weren't having it. I think now people would call it Child Protective Services. But it was uh, – there was a lot of it going on. Basically, There's something like almost scary about the idea of,
1: you know, I mean, I, you know, being adolescent is all about breaking loose from your parents. But the idea of having to deal with adolescence, like actually with no parents,
0: <laughs> that's terrifying to me. Well, you, yeah, you, you, know, you start, you know, you make your own rules and you fa- you fall into your own sort of patterns of what you can and can't do. And I think that's sort of laid out in the book. Like, what levels of transgression are they at fifteen or fourteen? Um, going to commit. It involves BB guns and wine coolers rather right. than
1: actual guns and heroin.
0: And you know, two years later would be different. Three years later would be di- if they are three years older it would be different. But you know, at this you know segment of time, you know, they're pretty harmless.
1: After you spent two years or uh, whatever it ended up being, sort of digging into this part of your life and this subject. Did you feel differently about it than you did when you
0: decided to,
1: you know, undertake that effort?
0: Well, I think in, in the same way that, you know, with most of my books, I have some sort of question I want to solve and solving it is – and writing – solving the question is writing the book. Um, I did, you know, figure out certain things about being a live, awake human being when you're 15 versus 38 Um think about these different ways of being in the world, comfortable, uncomfortable in your skin, um, being hopeful or despairing of ever approaching that, you know, ideal self that you're, you know, trying to move toward. So, um, you know, I I think, you know, hopefully by the end of the book, I have learned something, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully um, I don't have all the answers when I start start a project and um, uh, the ups and downs and the sort of blind alleys, are uh, a way of fi- finding eventually finding, eventually my way to some sort of new way of thinking about my world.
1: When it is literally your world that you're writing about, when it's as part of yourself, like this identity-forming part of your personal history, how did it actually literally affect your idea of who that you was and who the contemporary you are besides this the proclamation that it did
0: uh for me i'm going to say now i'm not so uh, squeamish about teenagers <laughs> or thinking about that time I, I put some things to rest and i can see the through line from my uh adolescence to who i am now in terms of the characters in the book it's much more compact and it's much more linear um you know, at the end of the book, there has to be a certain sort of summation going on. And so the adult, um, the mature version of Benji is shaping things and, you know, trying to figure out what happened in the summer. You know, my summers weren't that tidy and yours probably weren't either. Um, but there does have to be a certain kind of unity in the book in the absence of these great melodramatic moments where there's a, a killer shark or um, a murder on a loose. And so... Um, uh, you know that, that final movement in the book, which I really liked, in the last two or three chapters, of where the summer is coming to a close and the the mature version of Benji is, sh- is shaping things. Um, I had a great time writing it and pulling these sort of really small scale lessons out of the summer. I think it was very satisfying as as a writer.
1: Well, Colson, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to be on The Sound of Young America. It was great to have you. Thank you, sir. Colson Whitehead's new novel is called Sag Harbor. That's our time for another Sound of Young America program. I have been your host, Jesse Thorne, America's radio sweetheart. The show is produced by Speaking Into Microphones. Our editor is Nick White, our associate producer, Julia Smith. Christian Natividad is our... In turn, my dog's name is Coco. You can find us online at maximumfun.org and you can email me at jesse at maximumfun.org. Should you visit our website, you'll find not only free downloads of every Sound of Young America interview, but also our podcasts, including but not limited to the Sound of Young America. You can check out Jordan Jesse Go, stop podcasting yourself, the Casper Hauser Comedy Podcast, and more, all free at maximumfun.org. We'll see you next time right here on the Sound of Young America.